Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another semester of Sustainable Saints. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. Today, we'll be discussing a range of topics. First, we'll be uh, covering a new workshop through SEED, which the ESB Student and Community Working Group has been devising over the past couple of months. And we have a special guest, Hannah Lundstrom, who is going to be talking about a similar course called Climate Know-How, which is being orchestrated through the Environment Team. However, before we get to that, I'm going to do my usual uh, spiel here about pertinent political updates and things we should know about in the environmental scene. So the first thing I want to talk about is solar geoengineering. There's a new book out from Elizabeth Colbert, who's a well-known environmental author called Under the White Sky. And in this book, she discusses what she has dubbed the nature of the future. So as we're living in the Anthropocene, humans have increasingly become a planetary force. We've convinced ourselves that we can orchestrate nature to meet and satiate our needs. However, increasingly it's becoming aware that environmental degradation and the climate crisis is reaching a fever pitch. So people, or rather some scientists in the um, fringes of the climate community have come up with an idea called solar geoengineering, which is basically about pumping sulfur aerosols into the atmosphere, which would artificially cool the earth by limiting the amount of solar radiation that actually enters into the biosphere. Personally, this sounds like a ridiculous idea, the idea that we should dim the sun, as some have dubbed it. Um, it has vast consequences that we have no idea how they would uh, play out. And just the, the concept of altering the chemistry of the atmosphere seems to be beyond the pale. So in this book by Colbert, she discusses the various initiatives being undertaken by the climate community and by some in the climate community, specifically focusing on these techno fixes. So I'm wondering, is dimming the sun really a viable path forwards? Perhaps we should be rethinking our political economic systems um, engaging in things like degrowth or limiting the amount of consumption that is occurring instead of trying to take this massive experiment on our planet. And I think it really shows that there is this hubris amongst people who think we can engineer ourselves out of a crisis that is born from a ceaseless engineering. Um, and then related to that, there is a new study that, comes, that came out from the University College London. And it estimated that 8.7 million deaths in 2018 were attributable to the burning of fossil fuels. That's just a remarkable number. Um, they, they estimated that more than 1 in 10 deaths in both the US and Europe were caused by fossil fuel pollution, while nearly a third of deaths in Eastern Asia were due to uh, the burning of fossil fuels. And they did this by using a global 3D model of atmospheric chemistry, which was overseen by NASA. And then they paired that with a more detailed resolution that could distinguish between pollution sources. Um, and so they were able to, to come up with this, I mean, profound statistic. So it just shows how extractivism and the continued addiction of fossil fuels is leading to uh, casualties and real suffering. And it's, it's crazy, especially when you compare it to the current COVID pandemic. However, we, you know, we're seeing so many people who are dying from this awful disease. Yet before COVID, people were already dying from fossil fuels, from the, from the burning of fossil fuels. So it puts things into perspective and shows that we have multiple concentric crises that we need to focus on. And I think this is actually interesting because the burning of fossil fuels, which would not be abated under a solar, solar geoengineering project, would continue and continue to cause real casualties. 
So if we were to pursue solar geoengineering and we would you know, pump sulfur aerosols into the atmosphere, that means that carbon would still be emitted. Basically, we're not changing anything. We're continuing to burn fossil fuels and we're continuing to saturate the atmosphere with carbon. Of course, as we, as we see with this study, the issue is that people will still die from pollution and that's just unacceptable. Um, and it, it just shows that geoengineering is, is a really uh, radical idea that would result in a lot of suffering and a lot of unknowns, which we would not be able to turn around if we pursue something so drastic. There's also an interesting article written by David Wallace-Wells, who is a well-known author. Uh, he wrote Uninhabitable Earth, and he came across, or he rather wrote, a very comprehensive article documenting the state of the climate crisis during the pandemic. So there are some encouraging facts that he lays out. The first is that solar energy has fallen by 900% since 2010, and wind energy has fallen by an additional 40%. Moreover, utility-scale batteries have fallen by 70% since just 2015. And utility-scale batteries are really important because they solve the intermittency issue, or rather they try to solve the intermittency issue posed by renewables. So if you imagine a city that is running on solar uh, energy and it's a cloudy day, obviously there will not be enough energy to meet peak consumption. However, if there, you know, before this cloudy day, there was a day with lots of sunshine and that actually exceeded the energy required, that extra energy surplus can be stored in these utility scale batteries. So when it comes, that energy consumption can be satiated. Another encouraging sign is that China has committed to net uh, zero carbon emissions by 2060, and they said they would peak their emissions by 2030. Moreover, with the incoming Biden administration, they have the target of net zero by 2050. So China and the U.S. are the two largest uh, sources of emissions in the world. China is the largest emitter in the world, while the U.S. is the largest historic per capita emitter. Together, they uh, account for two-thirds of global emissions. So having these targets, which are on paper very hopeful, um, it, is an, it is an encouraging sign. We just need to see now that these words are followed by real concerted political action. 1.5 degrees increasingly seems out of reach. In fact, uh, countries would have to quintuple their targets to meet this goal. And although there is a real activist push, it does not seem possible at the moment. That being said, with the ratcheted up targets from China and the US, as well as other actors such as South Korea and Japan, two degrees seems increasingly viable and within reach which is of course the baseline goal in the Paris Agreement. However, it's important to note that two degrees is by no means a real scenario. The real catastrophic climate impacts, a lot of people will die, there will be suffering. So it is so important that we fight for every 0.1 degree increase in the global temperature. You know, if we surpass two degrees or we surpass 1.5 degrees, that doesn't mean we just throw, up our, throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, it's all over. We need to fight for every single point one degree Celsius incline because that will result in more um, death and more catastrophic global climate impacts. So that about sums it up for me. Um, I'm now going to pass over to my co-host Diana to introduce our guest Hannah Lundstrom. Hi yeah but before we do that I just want to quickly um, sort of add to the news there so obviously Noah has told us a lot of um, success stories, I guess, of what's going around the globe. But unfortunately, that is not the position the UK can consider itself in. So as I'm sure many of you are aware, Cumbria's coal mine was given the go-ahead, which is a total paradox for the UK's emissions reduction targets. Um, and a 
This shows just how Boris's Green Deal, released in October last year, or literally anything else that comes out of his mouth, is truly worthless if he's willing to go ahead with a plan like this. He will have significant benefits, such as helping the local economy create a number of jobs in an area where its unemployment rate is high. He also said that the type of coal that's being mined um, is for cooking coal, uh, which is the key ingredient to the production of steel. Um, so it's positive for him, but of course it's kind of disappointing that they're considering um, uh, sort of highlighting economy and economic growth over huge environmental factors. Great, okay, so without further ado, I'm going to introduce you all to Hannah, who is the Sustainability Coordinator at our university. Um, we've had an absolute pleasure getting to know her over the past couple of months with our work on the ESB, and we're very encouraging of all she has planned. So I'll pass it on to Hannah so she can tell you all about the amazing initiatives that she's currently working on at the university. Oh, uh, thank you for the lovely introduction, Diana. Uh, I'm pleased uh, to be here and I've listened a bit during the evening and it's been great music going on and so on. But I'm here to talk about Climate Know-How, which is a course about to be rolled out at the university. So basically, Climate Know-How builds on the UK-wide carbon literacy project. So it's a project that has been working on awareness about carbon dioxide uh, and uh, the impact it has on our activities in everyday in everyday life and um, yeah ability to live really so the carbon literacy project has trained organizations like BAFTA and BBC and now they have delivered a toolkit for us at the University of St Andrews so Climate know-how is a part of a five-wide uh, initiative. Uh, to it started basically to train senior managers to become carbon literate, or as we like to call it, climate literate or even climate knowers. Uh, we decided together with Fire Council and Greenick Accordi to call it climate know-how. And Yes, so a bit about it is basically to deepen the discussion of what we can do at the university with the tools we have to yeah, um, make our effort for a sustainable future. So it's going to be rolled out as five uh, modules uh, focusing on different topics um, and we are going to aim to go deeper within them so, for example, a module can be called Carbon Footprint by the Carbon Literacy Project. The University of St Andrews chooses to go more into the climate justice of Carbon Footprint. Um, yeah, I'm going to hand it over to you, Diana. Is there anything more that I should add? Yeah, actually, I was, I was just going to ask, could you like explain more on how you, I don't know, obviously, if this is <laughs> get confidential or being allowed to be shared, but how are you, how is it planning on working in terms of who's running the sessions? Yes, so uh, our aim is to have students as trainers. We don't know exactly when it will be rolled out, but we aim for it to be rolled out in spring. Uh, as a part of um, yeah the net zero 
uh, strategy. And I think that there is yeah, great potential in having uh, students rolling it out from dis different disciplines, um, basically because you're so well up with the topic. And I think there's the real interesting combina uh, combination of having students teaching staff at the university how to become carbon literate. And I mean, we've been having the line in the sand, we have Greta Thunberg, a lot of these really, yeah, powerful um, young people. And I think we definitely have a lot to say and a lot to teach. So now we have a new section where Leia is going to talk more about some of the initiatives on the Environment Subcommittee, and Diana is going to discuss in more detail the up-and-coming SEED workshop. Um, yeah, be here tonight and listen um, and tell you more about what's happening in St. Andrews, and hopefully it's really, um, yeah, inspire, inspire some of the you with some of the initiatives that are happening and it's really great to hear from Hannah as well. Quickly news, um, some exciting news that I wanted to mention is that um, the University of Sciences has officially endorsed the a new sustainability strategy um, which lays out the ambition to be carbon neutral by 2035. So um, yeah, now it's about implementing it and creating an action plan that will get us to this ambitious goal. Um, which we'll discuss a little bit further. Some of all of these initiatives are definitely part of it, um, but it also this is a big so um, becoming completely carbon neutral in a world that is still very addicted to fossil fuels and in a system that still is um, is obviously a big task. Um, but it's also exciting because it means that we can change some of yeah the way that the world's currently working, and, and that is also an exciting time. Um, in, in the word crisis, there's definitely also an opportunity. Um, and Diana will go more into um, explaining a little bit about um, the St. Well, Andrews Forest and how that links to, to SEED as well. Um, but let me quickly, because you also mentioned Environment Subcommittee, um, and we've, uh, we definitely have a lot of um, events still planned for this semester. We had a really interesting discussion on um, climate law um, and writing climate justice into law on Monday. Um, and if you couldn't make it, the event will recording will also go up on the Environment Subcommittee YouTube channel um, where you can watch it. Um, and also we have a really exciting speaker that will um, be a university-wide initiative, um, which is a climate activist from Germany, Luisa Neubauer, um, and she'll be coming to, uh, well, she'll be speaking in an online event in St. Andrews on Monday the 1st of March. So definitely stay tuned for more details on that. But yeah, that was it from me. Um, back to you, Diana. Um, tell us more about SEED in the St. Andrews Forest. Great, thank you. So um, if you were listening last semester, you would know that we were talked about, I think we dedicated an entire show to the St. Andrews Forest Initiative, which is essentially a huge university-led carbon offsetting project for the university. Now, it's not been given the go-ahead yet. Um, there's still many phases left before it even goes to the university court. Um, but I think we're well on our way. And even if it isn't successful, there's already so much that has come out of it in terms of interest and environmental action. And one of those such things has been the seed workshops. So we've been incredibly lucky that there's been over almost, I think, 150 students that have signed up to take this course in carbon management and sustainable curriculum design. Essentially, this was not something that we had planned from the very start. Um, we, we, in the St. Andrews Forest Initiative, looked at how we could get a bottom-up student-led approach. And the best way we thought to achieve that would be through education. Um, so 
ideally to do that we would have um, a module in every single discipline that could somehow involve the students um, we entered this proposal into Yale University for the Global University Climate Forum um, which is basically an initiative where student and student-led projects from across the globe sort of meet each other and they connect and sort of develop on their own projects and the ones that are successful get showcased at COP26 so it's an incredible initiative for the university and we had submitted this sort of education idea unfortunately the competition deadline um the submission deadline is in may which means that we had basically a one month turnaround by january 2021 to put a module in into every single discipline which obviously um is basically impossible so we thought that the best way forward would be to create a seed workshop um that can basically ask you what you want to see from these different modules um, going forward so we in order to do that we've decided we've invited a number of different um highly distinguished individuals um such as the chief of california's cap and trade program jason gray as well as thomas crowther he's a, a british specialist in ecosystem ecology and he'll be running a workshop on forestry so we have some incredible professionals that will basically be leading a four-hour workshop overall so it's four workshops all one hour each um on carbon literacy and at the end of it students will be split off into focus groups where they can basically work together and analyze what they want to see if we were to put forward a huge module that is available to every single discipline to do with carbon offsetting carbon management the st andrews forest what would they want to be involved in what would they want to see so that's basically the project that we're working on at the moment it seems like we've got a lot of success and uh, we managed to ask around after the last session and everyone seems very positive about it so looking forward to where that is going to take us so i think overall with what leah said um obviously what hannah told us about before it looks like there is a lot to get involved in at st andrews this year even though it's unfortunately all online until well september next year and um, so without further ado i want to invite you all to go to the buzz box if you're interested and ask us any questions about anything we've mentioned in today's um in today's radio show and if you have any suggestions on how we can link them together this is actually an issue that we're having and that there's so many great initiatives across the university that we have no idea how to sort of make it more coherent and easier to navigate so if you have any suggestions do um post them in the buzz box now we're going to fast forward to the buzz box where we take all of your questions about the st andrews environmental scene and anything you'd like to know in greater detail so we have one question here um, from Margaret, and they're wondering if the environment system, specifically the environment subcommittee, the environmental sustainability board, the environment team in the states, so that system, if, if it's currently um, making environmental action more likely or if it hinders it because it's overcomplicated. Um, Leah, maybe you want to take on this question as someone who's been very experienced and involved in the San Andrews environmental scene since their first year, basically. Yes, I'll try to give it a shot. Um, I think something that's been really exciting to see um, over the last year or so, definitely since um, the line in the sand and the creation of the ESB board is to see how um, how that has helped from, from a structure point of perspective to bring together initiatives and to bring together the efforts in a more structured approach around sustainability um, at the university. And that's definitely having an effect in terms of how people are working together, 
and how to actually effectively create um, visions for sustainable um, St. Andrews and a sustainable university. Um, so in that sense, I definitely think there's a lot of um, working together, working together between the university and students, between the states, between and transition between community initiatives. Um, obviously, there's a lot more that can be done. We start at the beginning of this journey. It's always great to aim for collaboration. I think um, that's definitely something that um, hopefully that'll be looked at and improve over time as well. So, but yes, I think that as a student, um, when you first come to St. Andrews, maybe that's something that's confusing um, because there's just so much happening in the St. Andrews Green scene. There's so many different societies and groups that are addressing it. So it can sometimes feel hard, like where do you actually reach out to? Um, but yeah, I think um, we're definitely making progress in terms of working together. Um, yeah, but Hannah, I just wanted to invite you to um, maybe say a little bit more on this as well, because obviously you work as a um, sustainability coordinator in St. Andrews, so you have a good overview of everything that's happening. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I think it's actually a great strength because we have several different legs to stand on. So we have the subcommittee who are <laughs> tightly connected with the student community. We have the environment team who are very uh, well organized in terms of the operational stuff at the university. And then we have the ESP who has more the ex expert knowledge to advise for uh, further action. So yeah, I think it's a strength to have <laughs> these different groups because we all reach different audiences and we all do different things to bring sustainability forward. Uh, just to uh, build on what Hannah said um, and Leo as well, I'm like, as a student of IR, I'm focusing heavily on governance structures and what works best in terms of carrying out climate adaptation. Um, and we kind of, we do analyze that, is it better for one big overarching umbrella or is it sort of loads of different, I guess, processes of getting somewhere? And I think the fact that we've got this, I think it was four that was mentioned in the question, uh, four different environmental units as such, um, it could not work in some cases, but it definitely works in our case because we have communication, we have sort of methods in which we're openly talking about what each group is up to and it actually just it helps strengthen us um, because then it means that we have support from other units, I guess, if that's what we're referring to it as. Um, and that definitely helps, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think the multifaceted nature of this Andrews environmental scene is actually one of its strengths. So, you know, you have organizations like Transitions to Andrews, which are really local grassroots organizations. And then you have the Environment Subcommittee, which is really representing the interests of the students. And then the Environmental Sustainability Board, for example, which is more institutionalized and operating from a top-down level. Um, I just think it's really crucial that we have sustained communication channels between these different actors, because we're all working for the same thing. And that's, that is like a more sustainable uh, St. Andrews. So I think the diverse nature of uh, the environmental scene here is really, really um, strong. So the next question is for Hannah, and um, this person is wondering the, about the climate know-how course. They say it's really interesting, and can anyone apply for it, and when will applications be open? Um, the, the short answer is that we haven't decided on an application process yet. Um, however, 
we are looking for students to bring in new perspectives on the different modules. So um, the five modules will concern um, why is climate change happening, carbon footprint with relations to uh, climate justice, um, net zero, um, the influence of the university and taking action. Uh, if you're a student who have ideas on how to take this even further and yeah if you want to have the opportunity to be a leader uh, you can email me so my email address is hkcl1 at st andrews um yeah so uh, no application process planned but please don't hesitate to reach out if you have some ideas of how to take climate know-how forward um, you can also just contact the show on Facebook, and if you want Henna's um, contact information, we can link it there as well. So I have another question here, and it's um, acquiring by Tessa. So is Tessa going to be updated by September? I'm not sure who has knowledge on this, as the co-creators aren't actually here. Um, but yeah, Henna, <laughs> yeah, you go ahead. Yes, uh, so uh, we're taking feedback from Tessa during the semesters. So what we do is that we gather all the feedback we get and then for the launch e-semester, we go through the feedback and make changes. So uh, we're actually, yeah, we're always in the loop of making Tessa better. So if you have feedback, reach out with it and we will consider it for the next launch. Great. Um, another question here is about the sustainability strategy, and they're wondering how successful will it be? Um, Leah, do you maybe want to take this on as the chair of the ESB student and community working group? Oh, great. All the, all, I'm getting all the difficult questions tonight. <laughs> um, we can definitely all have a, I mean, a, a talk I on agree. this. Yep. Um, so how successful something will be depends on um, the people that are behind it, right? Uh, it depends on um, who champions things. And I'm very much hoping from what we've, um, yeah, as students on the ESB this year have done and set up that setting a path for the future uh, and will leave a certain um, legacy for people to actually address sustainability and to take these initiative forwards. But yes, it depends on the people that will work on it and that will push for it and that will continue to um push for sustainability and encourage the university and show its students that this is something that is important for our future and that we care about um but i think it's really encouraging to see that how much um the university is really taking sustainability serious and it's uh, um yeah it's really reaching a new level of um of um importance at the executive level but of course it depends very much also on student engagement in the future and um, people that will drive this and that will continue to push for ambitious goals um so yeah that's my take um but diana no i don't know if you have anything else to add or any thoughts yeah i, I think i'd say that the sustainability strategy will be a success i think the process through which it was created was very much oriented at a grassroots level so we have loads of different input from a diverse set of groups. So the structure of the ESP itself is also really diverse and it uh, targets all the various angles of sustainability. So for example, you have the student and community working group, 
which is focused obviously on students and community and how they can be involved in fostering a more sustainable standards. But then you also have, for example, the Operational Adaptation Working Group, which is focused on cultural change, implementing um, behavior change across the university. Um, and then you also have the Sustainability the Curriculum Working Group, which is focusing on putting more eco-conscious content within the curriculum. Um, so you have this diverse structure and the people on the board have been working really tirelessly to put something forward that is both ambitious and practical. And, you know, it's obviously up to the administration now and for the diverse actors um, within St. Andrews to implement this vision. However, we need to have confidence, but also as students, I think like we need to just keep on pushing the uni to make sure that they follow through with their targets and we need to hold them at a very high level so that they don't fall back on any commitments, but, um, you know, forge a very ambitious path forwards. Diana, maybe you want to offer your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you guys have said. Um, the ESB for me has been an incredible opportunity because I always felt like I had ideas and I kind of, I knew what I wanted to see from the university, but I kind of, I don't know if I can say this, but like I didn't have a leg to stand on in a way that um, I just felt like whoever, I, no one would have listened to my ideas and being on the ESB, like everything that you say does get um, sort of listened to. Um, and if you can really develop an idea and show them how important it is, then they do take it further. Like the St. Andrews Forest initiative that literally just started from like a passing comment and is now basically turning into a multi-million pound proposal for the university. So it's a really good idea. The one thing that I was going to say, if you are interested in getting involved with the ESB, um, it would definitely be to, in the application process, you have to do something that makes you stand out. Is I, I mean, I obviously I don't know what um, Noah's application or Leah's was like, but I definitely sort of came up with ideas that I thought hadn't been thought of before. And I think that definitely helped me. So if you are interested, then that would be my advice. Yeah, I agree. I think in your application, you should really speak about your passions and your ideas for a more sustainable St. Andrews. And I just want to comment on Diana's um brief interlude there on the Sanders Forest. Just want to give her a lot of credit for that idea because um, she came up with an amazing proposal that was, you know, loads of pages long and she's been the driving force behind this idea. So um, hats off to Diana because now it's probably on its path to actualization and, you know, we're going to be one of the first universities to do this. So that's fantastic. Um, we have another question here about how do I get involved in ESB? I think Diana just touched on it. Uh, of course, you can become a student representative on it. However, um, maybe Leia or Diana, do you want to talk about more of the opportunities involved as a non-member to get your voice in there? I think um, there are definitely several ways um, not to underestimate how actually to, to push something forward. And I think... Um, I mean, I've had the really great privilege to be able to, um, yeah, hold environment, the position of environment officer this last year. Um, and through that, obviously, I'm directly representing students and can bring um, ideas and um, thoughts from students to, um, to, the, to the board and to the university. And I think don't underestimate actually using the voices that they are in the student association to speak to people about ideas that you have or initiatives and coming to us or anyone you know who's connected to it. I mean, I think Deanna's had quite a few people come to her with ideas and plans and to just um, then ask and 
um, I think we're always happy as students um, to support and to drive forward initiatives, especially if they're really great ideas. Um, another thing that we did that was really exciting, that was one of the first initiatives we did when uh, the ESB just started, was the forum that we ran over the summer with interested, yeah, with students, sustainability and students around asking, well, uh, what what are the key issues? What can we? What do we want to see change in St Andrews? And some of those ideas were definitely taken forward um, to what we're doing now and what is also in the strategy. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, so and, and um, hopefully also something that will be continuing in the future in terms of having forums for community and for students to speak. Yeah. I was just yeah building on what Leah said. I'm sorry, I didn't think that we were answering that question before, and I had already touched on it. But I think it's not just so much about oh, how do I get on the ESB? Show already what you're doing. Try and get involved in some way already. Um, like there's so many initiatives at the university. Like even if you're just listening to this radio show, you're already one step ahead of most of the um, population at St Andrews. And um, if you're involved in the seed workshop, that's already a great step forward because if you're planning on applying for the ESB, you can say, well, I took the course that basically the ESB um, created. Um, so yeah, I definitely um, sort of recommend it. Just get involved wherever you can at the moment. Yeah, and and again, I want to echo that as the student representatives on the board, you can of course always speak to us and you know share your ideas about what Sandrews can do and on the sustainability front, and we'll make sure to bring that to the board and make it a discussion point. And just bringing it back to a previous discussion point about the Sandrews environmental scene, we mentioned its diversity, and there are so many ways to get involved. And ultimately, it's less about being on the ESB, but more being part of this united front um, that is fighting for you know real substantive change here in St. Andrews. So there is another question here in Buzzbox um, inquiring about how we get certificate, certificates. Excuse me. So I think this question is referring directly to the seed course. So the seed course on carbon management and sustainable curriculum design, after you complete all the steps, including uh, a pitch about how your discipline can add to the vertically integrated project, as well as a short write-up, you'll get a um, certificate on the bottom of your transcript that certified you as a participant in this course, as well as a LinkedIn badge. Um, Diana, maybe you want to elaborate on that, or did I cover all of it? Don't worry, I think you covered all of it. So it's kind of just the typical what everything else that you'd get from the seed workshop except this time you can also say that oh i spoke to california's the chief the chief of california's cap and trade program so that's the only thing i can offer i guess hannah maybe if they were referring to the climate know-how course you can just expand on what you'd get from being a part of that uh yes uh, so there is an option when you do the climate know-how to get a certificate from the carbon literacy project so this is not something that would show in sort of your degree from the university of st andrews but there is a certificate good for career opportunities so yeah i don't know if you have linkedin you can go into the carbon literacy project and you see loads of different people uh, working in business who has the certificate so i really recommend it for yeah career development yeah, and I think that's one of the the strong suits, um, especially with the C course for students who want to show on their CVs that they're eco-conscious and that they're 
have some knowledge about environmental change and the tools to mitigate it. So that is definitely one reason to get involved is to show um, to future employers that you're knowledgeable about this really pressing issue. Um, so we're in the final couple of minutes here of the show. Um, I was just going to ask Diana a question more about her idea about behind the Sanders Forest. What inspired her to write that initial report that was ended up being the driving force for this proposal? And yeah, maybe just share her insights on it. Thank you. I honestly know you're too kind when you speak about it. Um, I think that the St. Andrew's Forest proposal actually came from an idea outside of the university. So I for two summers worked for a company, a transnational environmental consultancy company called RSK Environmental. They're an incredible um, incredible company and I really enjoyed working for them. And in the last summer I worked for them, they asked me to do some research on how that um, on how their company can become um, carbon neutral. And one of the aspects we looked into was carbon offsetting. So I basically spent, along with a sort of like a task force, we created an entire project on how this huge transnational corporation could become carbon neutral. And in it, when we were referring to the scope three emissions, which was basically travel, um, we thought carbon offsetting was the only way forward. Now we didn't in their way forward, we didn't actually come up with a forest initiative. Um, I think for the company that, obviously for RSK, we actually just gave them a load of pilot projects. Most of them were the stereotypical carbon offsetting projects which were in developing countries around the world. So if you genuinely generally look at carbon offsetting, a lot of it happens in the developing world because that's how it was written out um, in environmental negotiations negotiations many years ago but the Paris Agreement changed that and said that carbon offsetting can now happen in the well in the developed world too um, so it, it means that in the last couple of years we have seen an increase in what the UK can be doing internally um, in terms of new initiatives and projects to reduce carbon so I actually originally wrote an entire proposal just on I think it was 50 pages long I feel sorry to anyone who read that but it was just a very long proposal on uh, carbon offsetting in general, why the university should do it, case studies of um, other businesses. And I think I also, I researched every single UK university just to see what our competition would be. And I think it was only 4% of UK universities had even mentioned carbon offsetting in their carbon management plan. So it definitely kind of showed the university that we needed something here. And I gave a sort of a ton of projects that the university could be involved in. So I said sort of all of the ones that we could have in the, the developing world um, in the UK. And it was actually Ian Boyd, so I can't take full credit for it. But so Ian Boyd, he in the meeting sort of looked at all the different initiatives I'd given him. And it was just pages of ideas. And he just said, I like this one. Let's do this one. And so then I wrote an entire new paper specifically on the St. Andrew's Forest idea. So, um, yeah, there was just a lot that we went through. And to get there, but I, of course, I wouldn't have been able to do it without um, uh, Leah, Abby, and Noah all on the um, ESB team too, who were just incredibly supportive the entire time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I quickly actually wanted to say um, the St Andrews Forest is obviously has grown into something so much more than um, than 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 it just an offsetting project, and I think that's what we can see with the seed workshops and. Um, wanting to transform that into an academic experience. And really, I think this is not just about uh, offsetting emissions, but this is about really um, 
yeah, in, inspiring change, inspiring change through like planting trees. I mean, that's something positive and inspiring in itself. And I think an idea that's floated around uh, as a wish for many in the university for so long. Um, so that's really exciting. Yeah, and I agree that the Sanders Forest is more than just an offsetting initiative because it gets involved so many community members. And as we're uh, exemplifying with this seed course, it can also be a real um, source of education, uh, especially about carbon management and different ways about mitigating the climate crisis. Thanks everyone for tuning in for what was a fantastic episode. And thank you so much to our special guest, Hannah Lundstrom, for joining the show. Next week, Wednesday at 8 p.m., we'll have a special guest friend transition joining us to discuss the Saint and Reuse scheme and all the other great initiatives that transition is currently enacting in St. Andrews. Thanks again for joining and goodbye.